Let me uh, open with a moment of prayer here, my friends. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together safely as a Christian family to listen to your word, the inerrant word, the only word. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. We ask that the Holy Spirit bind us closer together as a Christian family, as a church family, to listen to your word, to unpack your word, and be able to proclaim it to all that are wished to hear. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I got a question for you. <clears throat> are you ready? So that's a bit of a different question. So not, not for the sermon per se, but are you ready? So those of you that know me, I like to talk. And, and that's okay. That's, that's okay. And that's a good thing, right? I like to have meaningful conversation with people. And, you know, sometimes we hear, we hear these things like we hear on the radio, like, are you ready? We see bumper stickers, are you ready? You know, uh, you know, different things like that. But when we start thinking about this, what does the question, are you ready, mean? Okay? Like, what does it mean? What is it about? What, what should we be thinking about? So, a lot of times I'll be with friends and that, and I'll say, well, are you ready? I'll just blurt it out. And like a lot of, sometimes I'll say, well, yeah, I'm ready to order. We've been sitting here for 20 minutes, you know, it's time to eat. Um, sometimes when I'm driving, and for those of you that know, I kind of, I obey the Highway Traffic Act, and then I say, are you ready? They say, yeah, I'm ready for you to speed up, because it's going to take us forever to get to where we need to go. But that's not this in this particular case. Um, but when we talk about are you ready, <clears throat> at least what I'm going to be talking about, is kind of like the second advent, so it's the coming of Christ. And I say, well, are you ready? Are you ready for when Jesus arrives? Are you going to be prepared? Are you ready for that moment? And it's interesting because I've observed, it's just an observation, I've observed different responses and different expressions. One of them is for those of us that are believers and have read the Bible and have studied the Word and try to live a life of Christ and maybe looked at the book of Revelation, it's an expression of joy, right? We're ready to go. When he comes, okay, let's get snapped up in the cloud. We're good to go. There are some out there as well I've asked, and these are just observations, you know, just different responses. And they say, like I say, are you ready? And they go, well, you know, there's believers, and they're like, well, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not sure if I'm ready. So sometimes there's confusion, maybe a little bit, you know, just, just not sure about their salvation, okay? And then there's are those that have never heard the name of Jesus, don't want to talk about it. And then when I ask, are you ready? And they say, well, ready for what? And I tell them about the second coming of Christ, then it gets very interesting, and it's, it's just an observation. But there might be fear. Sometimes there's a little bit of rejection, retaliation to that question. But regardless, regardless of the expression or the response, the important piece here, and the, it's the question that matters. So are you ready? So if you have your Bibles with you, okay, I'd like you to, if you want to, you can open it up. We're going to look at the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at Matthew 25, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. I'll be using the ESV version, but feel free to use whatever version you have with you today. So we'll, we'll look at Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> This is God's word. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to the, meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took their flasks of oil with their lamps. 
As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go gather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So may God bless the reading of his holy inerrant word. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot to unpack in these 13 verses. There is a lot in here. But before we kind of start to get rolling with this, it's important to think about you know, kind of the way Jesus spoke and when he was teaching his followers, the apostles, right? The different types of tools he used. Now, this particular section of the book of Matthew is classified as a parable. So, now it's important to know what a parable is and, what, and how it works. So, like, because it helps to understand why he was speaking in these terms. So, he used parables quite often, right? And essentially, my friends, a parable is like a, it's like a didactic story. So it's a lesson, right? He's not using poetry. He's not using prose. So it's a different type of expression, right? But it starts to illustrate important facts, important instructions or principles in order to be able to apply those to daily life. Now, Within that, okay, when he taught this, right, he used different ways to get his point across. Um, and one of these things that he used, or techniques, is he used different types of statements. And particularly in, in this uh, piece of the gospel, it's allegorical statements. So what allegories are, these type of statements, it's a narrative or a visual, so it's an audio or a visual thing that represents a character, a place, or an event. And what that's supposed to do is try to help interpret the hidden meaning, okay? Um, especially when it comes to morals and how we apply this stuff to our lives. And we see this in uh, the parable of the ten versions. Now, we're not going to be sitting here doing a Bible exegesis sermon today. I'm just kind of giving you some context of how these things work, because it's important to understand how he taught and why he taught that way. So, and it's, it's interesting because the apostles had a special relationship with Christ, right? So he would speak to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and different leaders and to groups of people and using parables and allegorical statements. And then like, the apostles didn't really understand them 100% either. He, they were not 100% clear. But he would talk to them after about that. This, this is the meaning that's driven in to what I said, okay? And that way... When the gospel is passed on, you know, there's the correct understanding and the ability to articulate those meanings, right? So that we, everybody can understand, including us, you know, so we can apply this to our lives. So my friends, let's take a journey into these verses together. Let's start looking at these verses, and I'm going to kind of break them down, I'm going to parallel them, and then we're going to talk about how this all affects us. So we look at verse 1. It states, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. 
there are, there are many times in the Bible when Christ tried to talk about the kingdom of heaven and what it is like. And we see different, different examples, okay? We can look in Matthew 13, verses 24, which the Bible says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. We know when Christ compares the kingdom of heaven, it's always compared to something awesome, right? It's perfect. There's, it's, it's, and there's different ways he gets there. And we look at Matthew 13, 24, it speaks to seeds. We know we have good seed, it falls into good soil, right? And what does that do? It produces a good harvest. It produces a good fruit. And what he's trying to do is show that there are out there, we need to be putting those seeds out and building that, and it produces believers, right? And then when we think about this, when we still in verse 1, so we're looking at these 10 versions. They have their lamps to meet the bridegroom. So God often referred to himself as the husband of Israel. And Jesus pictures himself, and it's meant to be looked at, as he is the bridegroom. Okay, the bridegroom is the man, or the groom, who is about to enter into a marriage covenant. So the term bridegroom, we can see in John 3.29, um, after Jesus, uh, the when Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist actually exalts Christ in the fact that he states, and this is where the Bible says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly in the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the joy of mine is now complete. We start to see, as we dig into this and dive into this scripture, that the presence of the bridegroom and the joining of the bride, okay, is a joyous occasion. This is when he's talking about his church, us, okay? It's starting to move down that path. So the number of virgins in this case is 10. And, they will, and it will, it'll make sense as we move through the verses why this happens. So let's move on. We're going to look at verses 2 through 4 now. So what the Bible says here, five of them were foolish. And five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now we look at these three verses, okay? And he's talking about the five virgins that were uh, foolish, and then five were very wise. We see that. Now, they make good decisions, and some made bad decisions. In the case of this, the numbers kind of split down the middle, Okay? Um, the, the fact with the lamps, he's trying, like again, it's, an, it's another allegorical statement. He's trying to use this as an example because that was something very common uh, during the time when Christ was walking the earth. It, it was significant, right? Because lamps, were, they were used for, uh, as light to guide people along a safe path, okay? Um, uh, the lamps required order, or, oh, sorry, the lamps required oil in order to generate light. It had to be burnt. So when we look at the uses of oil in the Bible, so everything's significant of how when, he, when Jesus taught this parable, he was talking about lamps, he was talking about oil, he was talking about bridegroom, he was just talking about seeds. Everything has significance. Every little word he used correlated with each other. It, there's meaning behind it and, it, and it starts to make a little bit of sense here. So when we think about oil in the Bible, okay, it's documented 200 times, 201 to be exact. Okay, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, what did oil serve its function as? What did it do? They used it on the altar, in the, in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle for sacrifices. 
you know, it, they used it for anointing Israel's kings, okay? Uh, for the Sabbath offerings, they used it for the Sabbath offerings. It's also a symbol of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, okay? And when we see that oil gives light to the lamps to guide a person on a safe path, we look at what gives the believer guidance as they need to navigate life safely because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through the grace of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the wise are those who have heard the calling of the Holy Spirit and have accepted, accepted the free gift, the free gift of salvation that only Jesus Christ can offer. It, becomes, it starts to become a little clearer now that those who are prepared and have accepted the gift of the Holy Spirit and then there are those that are not, and it becomes clear that we need that in our lives. So let's move on to verse 5 here. And it states, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So why is the bridegroom late? Like he's late for his own wedding. I, I mean, <laughs> in our picture of a wedding, if the bride is late, that's okay. There must be something going on. You know, that's okay. She'll make the grand entrance, right? But if the, if the bride or the, the groom is late, oh, that's just not good, right? But that's okay. So when we look at this, we're not talking about an ordinary wedding, okay? We're talking about the return of Christ for his people, for the church. So we don't know when he's coming. We do have, we have no idea when he's going to return for us. But the Bible tells us he's coming. He's going to be returning. Okay? And we can see proof that the date and the time will remain a mystery. Okay? And that's why when we're looking at the ten virgins, we talk about the oil. Some have the oil. Some do not. So we look at this now. It's going to kind of fold together here, my friends. So we look at Hebrews 10.37, which justifies we don't know when it's going to happen. So Hebrews 10.37, because the Bible says, Yet a little while... And the coming one will come and will not delay. We also see in 2 Peter 3, verse 4, where the Bible says, They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So this is, I'm just using a few verses to help justify verse 5. We do not know when he's coming but we know he's coming, and we know that we're going to fall asleep on this. Now, let's move ahead to verses 6 to 8. And that states, but at midnight there was a cry. This is kind of the hinge verse here. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Now, like I said, we're starting to see that things are getting, starting to get very, very, very real, okay? Um, and this affects everyone. This is for those who have committed themselves to the glory of Jesus Christ and those who have not. The virgins that rose and trimmed their lamps, as we've seen early in, in, in the earlier verses, this is the preparation. This is getting ready for the advent, the second advent. This is the second coming of Christ. Okay? Um, some are not prepared. They're not ready. There will be scrambling at that time, wondering what to do. I have no oil for my lamp. 
Okay, the bridegroom is coming. And when we think, when we look at the speech patterns within these verses, okay, uh, it's specific to the coming of Christ. And when Jesus comes, it's going to happen really, really fast. Very, very fast in the blink of an eye. And we see this because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So this is starting to show. We don't have a lot of time. We don't know when he's coming. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. And when it happens, it's going to happen like that. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be incredible. So the Bible also says, another verse to support this, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 to 17, that for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. There are those, my friends, um, who will be trying to get what they need to be accepted by Jesus. But at this point, it's, it's, it's too late. It, when he comes, that's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in a blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, in a flash. It's, and it's going to be too late for some. And we know that. Now let's kind of move forward to verses 9 and 10. So what that states is, But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough oil for you, for us and you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. <clears throat> so when he comes, when Christ returns, my friends, we need to be prepared. Um, we cannot share our personal relationship with Christ. We cannot impute that onto others. We can't. We can talk to them and we can, we can convict them and, 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 and challenge them and discuss this. But personal responsibility is emphasized for all of us as individuals to be ready for that bridegroom. Because when, he, when, Je for when Jesus comes back... so. And Jesus uses these, those allegorical statements, again, just coming back to that, what he uses to get his point across. We see, like, the, the lamps, they need a lot of oil to keep burning. And just as Christians, we need to strive towards Christ. We need to keep moving forward, not backward. We're going to have hiccups in the road, but we need to move forward, okay? We need to, that stuff for, that's the way we can model ourselves as an example for those that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because the opportunity is always there. And in everything we do, we must give glory to God, because nothing else matters. So, it's important to note that <clears throat> faith without works is dead faith, right? Just as works without faith are considered to be dead works. And the works we need to do are, are to glorify God and bring glory to him and him alone, right? Otherwise, they are useless. And we can see in verse 9, we can't buy our way into heaven. It's very clear. There's no way you, we can buy our way into heaven. So, and the Bible justifies this, right? Because it says in Romans 9, verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. 
completely missed what it means to be servants of Christ. Christ was the cornerstone, right? He, he, came, to, he came to build the church, and you know, he said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Christ was the foundation. So let's move on to verses 11 and 12, which states, Afterwards, the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. What a frightening experience that is going to be for those that do not know Christ, who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because when he comes again, when that second advent happens, we're going to be celebrating the first advent in another month, but when that second advent happens, it's going to be real, and there's going to be those that are left behind. Now, when we think about this, he says, I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you. Now, the Old Testament and the New Testament verify and justify, and it's there that shows that God knows, God knows his chosen people. We see, and as examples of this, the Bible says in Jeremiah 1.15, that for behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, and around and against all the cities of Judah. God knows who his people are. Christ knows who his people are. And again, the Bible says in Hosea 13, 5, it says, It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. God knew that. He knew his people. He knew that they were wandering the desert for 40 years. They made some choices, but he knew who his people were. He never forgets. And another verse to help justify this is found in the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 2, which states, You only have I known all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So God knows his people. We see that. Those are just three very verses that are just there. Like there's hundreds of verses that speak to his people, right? Um, and it does continue into the New Testament. You know, we see in Matthew 25, we talk about verses 11 and 12. We just looked at. What does it say? The saving relationship, the saving relationship with God through who? Through his son, Jesus Christ. Through his son, Jesus Christ. And again, it's very important. I just want to reiterate that. It's the saving relationship. It's the personal relationship. It's that salvific uh, uh, opportunity that happened for us. We were saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And how do we know this is true? How do we know this is true? Because the Bible says in Galatians 4, verses 8 to 9, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by that, that by the nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back to the weak and worthless elemental, elementary principles of the world who enslaves you, uh, who enslaves you want to be once more. Now, what that's speaking to is like, yes, he knows us, we have come forward. We don't need to go back. There's nothing back there for us. Everything that is, those are the ways of, of the world. That is, a, uh, that is a secular movement, and we don't need to go there because we have Christ in our lives. Another verse that helps justify about this is found in 2 Timothy verses two, or chapter 2, verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows 
who are his, and let everyone whose name's the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. We have a responsibility as Christians to leave that old life behind. We shut sin at the door. It is difficult. It is super hard. And like I said, we kind of go up and down with our relationship with God, but we need to keep striving forward. We need to block that sin out of our mind because we don't know when Christ is coming. We need to, we need to leave that stuff behind us because it means nothing. But he knows who we are, right? And he knows who's put their faith and trust in him, in his spilled blood on Calvary. So let's look at our last verse here, my friends, which states, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So the main point of verse 13 is we need to be prepared because we do not know when Christ is returning. We have no idea. So there are so many verses in the Bible that prepare us for this event. It's, it's, there's a plethora. There's a lot of them, right? Let's look at a few here. Matthew 24, verse 50. What does it say? The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know. So we don't know the day. There's no predictive things. Nothing. He says, I will be back, but you won't know when it's happening. But these are kind of the things to look for. Also, in Luke uh, 12, verse 40, the Bible says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's, he keeps reiterating this. This is, a, this, is, this is an important point, right? Like, we don't know when he's coming, so therefore we need to be prepared. And now we see in Mark 15, verses 35 to 37, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. <clears throat> so, we look at this in Matthew. We look at Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. And I talked about a lot, and I moved through it at a good pace. So what does this mean to us? How do we apply this scripture to our lives? So we can ask ourselves nine different, now I'm not doing nine questions guys, I'm just saying we can ask ourselves nine different things about any piece of scripture. Is there an example to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a command to obey? Is there a condition to meet? Is there a verse to memorize? Um, is there an error to mark? And is there a challenge to face? So let's look at three of these in particular, and I'm going to kind of break them down. So is there a promise to claim? Yes, the, the promise of his salvation that he gave us, right? We have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, through the scripture alone, the five solas, right? We are saved because of grace, we have that promise of eternal security, of being with Christ in heaven. And how do we know this? Because the inerrant word of God tells us this. Okay, because the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then again, we see in the Bible, it just keeps telling us this over and over, in John 14.6, where Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Those are his words, okay? Christ died on a tree. 
okay? He's cursed to a tree, as we see in the book of Deuteronomy, okay? He took the wrath for us when we deserved to be on that tree, okay? And God loves us so much. He loves us so much, and, but he hates sin. He knew there had to be an atonement for our sin, and the only way that would happen was the sacrifice of his son. So, the second point is there a command to obey? Yes, be ready, stay awake, right? The big overarching theme in Matthew 25, verses 11 to 13, is that of being ready, staying awake, okay? We don't know when Christ is coming, but we know he's coming. He's coming back. The Bible says that. That's the second advent, right? The first advent, like I said, that, we're going to be celebrating that in a month. This is the second advent, and we don't know when that's going to happen, right? But we can see the Bible gives us warnings about this and, and prepares us for it. Because if we look in Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44, the Bible says, Therefore stay awake, for you know not when, you know not on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And that, that speaks true. Like if we knew we we're going to get broken into a, at this day, on this hour, we would stay awake and we'd be ready to take out the burglar. You know, not using excessive force or anything like that. But anyway, we do what we need to do. We would be prepared. And this is what we're doing. We're preparing for him to come. We don't know when. We have no idea. But he is coming, my friends. Another verse that helps justify this is found in Matthew 24, verse 50. It kind of jumps ahead about six verses. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know. So our third point here, okay, is there a challenge to face? Yes, there is. We need to make the right choices, right? <clears throat> As believers, we need to face the reality and the grim fact that not everyone, when Christ comes, not everyone will be caught up and taken up with him during the rapture. We know that. That's, that's, that's just, that it's not going to happen. So, but as we see in this section of scripture, you know, we can't, say, we can't save others. Like, they, it, has to be an it has to be an independent thing, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? We cannot share personally what has indwelled us uh, from Christ to them. We can share, like, yes, this is what my life is like, and this is what we should be thinking about, this is what we should be striving towards, and this is who only deserves the glory. But once Christ comes, it will be too late. The lost will not enter the kingdom of heaven based on the salvation of others. That's us, right? That we have received. Therefore, each person is accountable for their own choices. And my friends, we know that all sin is going to be examined. When we stand before the Bema, the judgment seat, all sin will be examined. The Bible is very clear on this. Now, and we can see reference to this in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, where the Bible says, Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. And one last verse to justify that third point 
is that the Bible says in Ezekiel 18, verse 20, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So the, that parable of the ten virgins I think those three take-home points, you know, making sure we're making the right choice, stay ready, or be ready, stay awake, and, um, you know, that we do have a promise to claim in salvation are important. And it's only through the blood of Christ, it's only through accepting him into your heart, it's only through realizing what he did for us on Calvary, because he defeated sin, Satan, and death that day. Two things on the cross, one in the tomb. He defeated it, and the door is open for everybody. The grace of, the grace of God is there, the grace of, of Christ. And, you know, it's, it's very important that we need to be ready because we don't know when he's coming. It's, it, we don't know, and we don't, a lot of us don't like thinking about the end times, but there, we don't know when it's going to happen. So we need to be awake, we need to be prepared, and we need to uh, support each other as we go through this and bring those to Christ who have never heard the precious name of Jesus, the saving salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. He did not deserve the cross, we did, but we know that he took our sins willingly, he was the full atonement. He paid the bill in full. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we can see your face and you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, we thank you for our congregation. We thank you for our community. And we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice he made. And in his precious name, we ask all this. Amen.